Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Welcome, good morning. Minus six is the temperature when people start coming out again. I like that. <laughs> On our way to plus two. Yeah. Sweet. Boy, isn't it amazing? I mean, when I first came here, like minus six was cold. Now it's like balmy. That's <laughs> ah, so 20, 15 years will do. All right, so I'm going to invite you to just drop into um, a spaciousness in this moment. I'm going to talk about spaciousness today. We're going to talk about the gift you are. And there is a perfection that Dr. Holmes talked about that is connected to our souls. And it's not something as... Dr. Holmes used to always say, there's nothing to heal. There's only something to reveal. And so I invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. I'll sign this, sound these chimes in a moment. But to really just be aware of your heart space. The soul is the language of the heart. And feel your heart space just begin to expand a little bit. Just breathe into it. There's a warmth involved with the soul and the heart. And let the warmth come over you. And let that warmth radiate out and connect with someone else's heart. And so as we ground ourselves in the truth of our being, which is not just our minds, not just our egos, not just our spirit, but also inviting our soul to come out and play, there's a richness there that is irresistible. And so I'll sound the chime as you bask in the heart space for 30 seconds. Then I will sing a prayer and we'll say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very And so know with me in this moment, there is an activity, a life, there is an energetic field, there's a vibration of the Most High. It is the truth of all of us. We are interconnected to all of this. And so what I know in this moment is, is that that life is our only life. And that truth, and that resonance, standing in that that emptiness and spaciousness of the soul of the heart. There's something beautiful, powerful that is finding its way in and through and as each and every one of us. And I just give thanks knowing that we are guided and directed in every good way.
that there's something to be revealed and known this day, that there is a trust, an openness, and a knowing that all the information, that what is our next good knowing to experience in this season of the gift, to share our gift beautifully and powerfully and wonderfully. And so I give thanks, I release these words for all the blessings that have been, that are, and are yet to be received in this season of light, in this season of gifts, in this season of coming together in celebration of giving and receiving. And for this I give thanks. I give thanks for what's alive here in and through and as each and every one of us, giving birth to that sacred activist, that divine human upon this planet. So in great gratitude and appreciation, I release these words and invite you to say with me, and so it is. All right. So what I'm going to invite you to do right now is stand up and find somebody that you can interact with. Someone that if you're willing to even hold their hands to make yourself available to that, to look into their eyes and say, good morning. You are amazing. You are a treasure. There has never been anyone like you before. Nor will there be anyone like you to come. You are one of a kind. Thank you for blessing this planet. I celebrate you. I see the face of God before me. And so it is. You can give him a hug if you'd like. All right. Did we forget to sing the song? Did we sing the song or not? Okay, golly, I looked up on the screen and said, did I forget the song? I've done this so many times. Sometimes I forget the song, I got to tell you. And I go, well, they know the song. I'll be okay. Well, probably not today, but we will sing it again. Thanks. So on the screen there, we've got a picture of, uh, of uh, we finally have our screen back up. I want to thank you for your patience. We haven't had it working since September, but with our new roof, we were able to buy some new software, hardware, and we're able to now c- consistently present that. And, uh, but I, before I get into that, that's, that's a picture of Mary, undoer of knots. If you haven't, we talked about that, and we did a little ceremony around that. I want to invite uh, uh, one of our undoer of knots that's a, a really a, a pivotal person to this environment and what we do here, uh, Lisa Letwin, and I'm going to let Lisa uh, speak to you about a, a group that we've had going here that Lisa leads the charge with in one of these uh, um, service capacities. And while you do that, I'm going to run to my office and get the book I took in there that I need for my talk. So bless you. Oh, it's perfect timing. I'll be right back, folks. She's got wonderful things to say, and, I, and I'm very interested, but I've got to go get a book that we need. We all need. Good morning, and thank you, Patrick. So as Patrick said, I've been leading, we call ourselves the Sparkle and Shine small group here at the center for about a year and a half. And so I wanted to take a moment right now, if anybody is in the crowd who has helped me over the past year and a half in any capacity to keep our center clean, would you please stand up so we can thank you. Yay. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I wanted to speak first about the benefits of being in service in this community. For me, the very first thing I noticed was because I was able to come and contribute my cleaning during the day, 
This isn't the busiest that the center gets. It actually is busy and alive throughout the whole week. And I also got to meet people that I never otherwise would have met because at the time they only came during the week to support the center and they didn't necessarily come on the weekends. So do you come to the center? Is it your spiritual home? And do you still not know anybody? The two things that made the difference for me was being in service because I got to meet the people in the different capacities that I served in service and also by being a part of the courses. Have you ever gotten lost in this building? <laughs> now that I've served in this capacity for a year and a half, I know all the ins and outs and there are about 20 different ways to get to this room alone. So did you know, and the flyer's not in the brochure anymore, but when there was the flyer about signing up for different volunteer capacities, your putting your information down there does not commit you to volunteering. What it does is it opens up an invitation. So if you signed up or said you were interested in the Sparkle and Shine group, we would get into a conversation to find out what your availability was and if it was a fit for us that this is the way that you could serve. Did you know that saying yes to cleaning means that every one or two months you would give, or more often or less often, you gave an hour or two of your time? So for example, in a couple of weeks we'll be clearing off the labyrinth for the labyrinth walk. Well, after the second service, that would be the perfect time when the snow is still water and not dry crud for people who have time to come and mop the labyrinth. So if you have time to do that even once every year, that alone would make our job a lot easier. And that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. All right. Beautiful. So that picture that we have up there, that's uh, Mary Andour of Knots, and that is... Uh, uh, a relatively new in, in, uh, representation or icon of this, um, this saint that is sort of a phenomena, in, especially in South America, Brazil, and, and uh, Argentina, and one that's very near and dear to Pope Francis, but uh, hadn't had a picture, we didn't, weren't able to get it up for you. Now, Steve, Steve Sandy's with us today. He does the crystals in our, he um, sells the crystals in our, our bookstore, and the reason that I, I've been doing a little commercial for Steve is we actually have a special permission from the, uh, John of God and the entities and Abhijanya to produce these crystals and the images that are in them. And one of the images Steve produces is uh, Mary Antire of Knots. So if you're interested, he's got a little display in the back there. And, um, and it's a really wonderful, it's a really wonderful endeavor that uh, we are helping get that launched in the world. And I think it's a, it's a really wonderful thing because it, it, those types of images, when they're meaningful, are us, help us connect with soul. And I'm going to talk about that today. So the next image is just breaking free, which we did. We, we untied some knots. We broke free with this cord that binds us in terms of we cut the vows, some of the, the, some of the known and unknown vows that we may hold as, as limitations for ourselves. So today I wanted to just expand on that in terms of the season of gift and talk about the gift that you are. And there you are. And, I, and that's, I'm sure that's at least minus six or higher there, that picture, but it just seemed appropriate for the season that we're in and what we've been experiencing. And what I wanted to share with you is, and inspired to share with you today is a quote from a man by the name of Francisco Varela. And Francisco Varela is a distinguished professor. He's, he he uh, teaches in France at the Ecole, Ecole Polytechnique and the Institute of Neuroscience in Paris. He's a renowned co-author of The Tree of Knowledge and the Embodied Mind. 
And this information comes out of a book by Joseph Jaworski who wrote Synchronicity, which is a book about leadership. And what they've done is at the highest levels of, of teaching upon the planet is they've come together with a collaborative effort of, of, of uh, great minds to figure out what are the possibilities in terms of where we're going on this planet. And he had this quote to say about it because part of the challenge for all of the people that are involved at this level of thinking and of, of collaboration is that at some point it starts to drift over into the spiritual and that's a challenge because a lot of people say, well, this is about leadership and we need to measure it and we need to count it and, and it can't possibly be, be a, a spiritual thing because then all of a sudden we get into that whole religious thing, which, you know, for many people is so uncomfortable because it, it challenges the status quo. You know, I was raised in a tradition that this is it and if you're not this, you're in trouble, you know, and there's still that, that mindset out there. But what Varela said about this is he said it's, he said the way we stand and make a declaration to create a new reality how can we create a new reality? Because this is very much in alignment with our, our core principles. Is not to be controlled by things and instincts. To not look at the world as it is, but to use our minds to imagine and vision what we desire. Now, isn't that metaphysics? Isn't that what Ernest Holmes was talking about? Wasn't that what all the great teachers of the perennial truth were sharing? And he said we must move from resignation to possibility. See, that's one of the traps that we can fall in. When we read the paper, we see what's happening politically, we see what's happening economically, we see the, sort of the spin of things. It's very easy to fall into resignation. And when in, our opportunity is to move, to have the spiritual stamina to move into possibility. So Varela says we need to learn how to internalize that capacity. That is core. If we can't internalize the capacity to move ourselves from, from resignation to possibility, we're not going to make any progress. And he says, we're still in the Stone Age when it comes to knowing how to consistently reach the next state of being. What I want to describe to you, and I think this is valuable because it speaks to the soul. And the soul is something that in our Western world doesn't get a lot of space. And as I grow in my own, on my own journey of spirituality, what I realize is that I can have all the good ideas I want, and I can have my desires, I can have my ego alive, and I can have my spirit alive. Our spirit is that conscious knowing. Our spirit is that, that, that animation of life that is invisible just like God, but it is individualized within me. But there's a depth that Holmes, Dr. Holmes would call the subconscious, which is also where the soul lives. And there's a mystery there. There's a darkness there. All of it will never be understood. So our mind can't access that. Our spirit can influence it by making new choices, but we can't access it. So our soul is something we need to invite. So Varela says, what I want to describe to you next is in the, the spiritual realm. Spiritual because it has to do with human hearts. When we are in touch with our open nature, our emptiness, we exert an enormous attraction to other human beings. There is a great magnetism in that state of being which has been called by Trungpa, great Buddhist teacher, authentic presence. Soul work is authentic presence. Varela leaned back and he said, isn't that beautiful? And if others are in the same space or entering it, they resonate with us and doors open to us. It is, not, it is not strange or mystical. It is part of the natural order. We need to learn how to internalize this capacity. So see, this ties in so beautifully with Andrew Harvey, which is saying that we must stay in the peace and the passion. It's a, it's a way of being, despite what's going on around us, to have the courage and the groundedness of the truth of our being to say, I'm going, to, I'm going to allow my soul here to, and to live in the emptiness and the spaciousness 
as well as do what I'm called to do because then the guidance and in in that intuitive knowing comes out of that space. And I'm going to expand on that today because there's a many, many great examples of this. And what Varela is talking about is to use the existing environment as an indicator of where we choose to put our attention. Where we decide, but because that's the power we have. So if people keep talking to us about an illness and we keep focusing on the illness, guess what we get more of? It's just the way it works. This natural tendency of the infinite, to, it can only respond to what we give it. So to have the discipline and the groundedness to realize I'm not going to resign myself to illness and lack and limitation or inferiority, but I'm going to focus over here to possibility, to the new reality. And that's tough because as, as Varela says, we are in the stone age with this. It's difficult. It's a challenge. So how do we welcome the experience of the soul? I want to talk about three ideas, a gift you are. Today I want to, how do we welcome the soul? The care and the cure, care versus cure, and soul practices. Three simple ideas. So welcoming the soul. Soul-filled experiences. Can you think of a soulful experience you've had? A lot of times it's like, like the Blues Brothers. Remember the Blues Brothers? John, Dan Aykroyd and John Bellucci? I mean, not too terribly soulful-looking clumsy white guys trying to pretend that they're blues. But they didn't sing, I'm a blues man. They sang, I'm a soul man, right? But it's this idea of connecting with something at a deep level or, or a wonderful meal. You know, we're in this season of hopefully that you're going to be able to spend time with someone that, you, that has care for you and you have care for them and you create a meal. It's not fast food. How many people say, hey, let's go to McDonald's for Christmas? I know people that do that, but it's rare. But the point is, is that there's a richness and an intimacy in it. There's a level of connection into me see, which is really a wonderful way to break down. It's a deep experience of oneness. We cannot care for the soul until, unless we're familiar with it. We must observe it. Observance is a word from, from ritual and religion. It, it's means to watch over for, but also to keep in honor, as in the observance of a holiday. The serve, S-E-R-V, in observance, is originally referred to tending sheep, because sheep have a tendency to wander. And this wandering and grazing, the latest, so what happens is that the soul, if the soul is not being addressed, what happens is it, it shows up as obsession, addiction, violence, a loss of meaning. It shows up as resignation is what it looks like. When we are starting to develop a new uh, uh, obsession, it's our soul dissatisfaction that's bubbling up. That we're not fulfilling that part of ourselves. We're not feeling it. So one of the indicators of it is we start to struggle because there's, an, there's a, a sense of um, groundedness and purpose in the soul. And so I know that you've had moments of that. I know that you're probably doing some reflective thinking about those periods of time when you've had that. But that is something that can, can, we can have every day. Thomas More, who wrote this uh, wonderful book that I had to run and get because I wanted to remark it so I was right on task when I shared it with you and then, of course, left it in my office, which is a good sign because a lot of times when I'm doing this work, um, a lot of that part of my mind gets to quiet down so I can, I can be in that state of being with you. But Thomas More, who wrote Care of the Soul and is a psychotherapist, wonderful man, years ago, Laura and I actually saw him speak at the Omega Institute. We were there for another event and he spoke on a Saturday night. He talked for a half an hour about having, having a meal. And it was really about a soulful experience of eating with others and sharing the meal and the richness of that. And I thought, wow, never thought of eating like that before. But to hear someone articulate that. 
But he writes of a client coming to him and, and ask, he, he says that they'll come and they want, they want the unwanted tendency taken away. They want to get rid of the smoking problem or the bad marriage or they, they please remove my feelings of inferiority. And he says, I don't try to eradicate problems. I am not an exterminator. He says, I try to give the problem back to them in a way to show its necessity, even its value. So isn't it an interesting perspective to have that maybe this is here to teach me and instruct me. Maybe it will never go away. Maybe it will always be with me. Then how can I learn to walk with it and care for it as part of my teacher, as part of my soul? Rather than just to give it a label and then put it in a box and say, okay, next. So soul work is not about fixing. It's about caring. When the soul is neglected, as I said, it becomes obsessions, addictions, violence, loss of meaning. To move from resignation to possibility. Carl Jung, I've got a slide with Carl's picture up there. He was an amazing man. Just a remarkable, amazing man. Influenced so many great thinkers. And I'm going to share a bit of his story today because it's so insightful what it took for him to tap into his soul in such a powerful way. But he said, I had a sense of destiny as though my life had to be fulfilled. This gave me an inner security. Often I had the feeling that in all decisive manners I was no longer among men, but I was alone with God. Isn't that fascinating to have that sense of connection? That each one of us, and I would say it's true for all of us, we have a sense, we have a destiny. We either fulfill it or we don't. And it's our discovery. Carl Jung said the soul is for the most part outside of the body. He carved, and there was a a carving that he put over the door of his home. He said, invoked or not, God is present. So welcoming the soul, he welcomed the soul. A slide of of a pair of hands crafting, crafting something from clay. It's welcoming it into our lives. Soul is different than spirit or ego. It sits between the spirit and the ego. Dr. Holmes would say the spirit is that unseen force of, of the divinity that lives within all of us. And it animates and it, it, it inspires. It's our consciousness. And then there's the ego, our personality, our wants, desires, our likes and dislikes, which is so easy to get into that I like this, I don't like that, and I'm going to live my life accordingly. But the soul piece is the mystery. It's where dreams are. It's where art is. It's where the creative, that, that creative muse comes from. Ego focuses on goals and the soul focuses on making a difference. A goal is an outcome you want to achieve. It is quantifiable and it has black and white results, yes and no. It satisfies the ego's need for recognition and acknowledgement and self-esteem. The ego counts its contribution and the soul serves for the joy of serving. So when you know you're in touch with the soul, when all of a sudden what you're doing, there's a sense of, of richness, something that was quite ordinary. All of a sudden, like Lisa talking about you know, the, the sparkle and shine group. But it's an opportunity to test those things out when we're in service. The soul is our depth, our unconscious mystery. So I want to touch upon the care versus cure. Because in the Western world, and I think in our teaching, if we have something that's not working, the idea is that we're going to cure it. And sometimes those things that keep coming up for us unresolved are actually there and they're not supposed to be put in a box and put away. They're actually to be worked with. If you cure something, you don't ever have to worry about it again. Care has, has a quality of ongoing attention. Ongoing long-term attention. 
Taking interest in our soul is a way of loving it and welcoming it. In ancient psychology, it held that the fate and the character of each of us is born in mystery. That we're all a mystery. That our individuality is so profound and so hidden that it, it takes more than a lifetime for our identity to emerge. We are, we are ever coming, becoming. Renaissance doctors said that the essence of each person originates as the stars in heaven. How difficult this is from the modern worldview that a person is what we make of ourselves. And I don't say it's either or. We do have choices to make. We do have decisions to make all the time. But if we don't allow our soul to be part of the conversation, I think we miss the mark because it's so easy to move from goal and goal and goal and task and measure and measure and measure. And at the end of it, if there's no fulfillment in it, we've left the soul out. So it's not throwing away the goals and the attentions, but it's realizing that there's something that I'm called to be and there's something I'm called to, to, to be of service to. So Carl Jung, I wanted to share with you a bit of his story, if you don't, uh, aren't familiar with it. But in this beautiful book by Thomas uh, More, The Care of the Soul, he, he writes about um, Carl Jung. And Jung was a contemporary of uh, Sigmund Freud, they, they, they had differences of opinion, but both had valid uh, theories and, and uh, things that they ex- taught and expounded upon. He talks about, um, Jung had a remarkable life. He's an example of a person attuned to the soul who adjusted his life, not to societal reality, but to his feelings of longing and restlessness. In his memoir, he tells how he built a stone tower as a dwelling for himself. It began as a primitive structure and over many years grew into something more complicated. He said he didn't have an overall plan in mind from the beginning, but he found found out that every four years he added to the building. Significantly, to Jung, the number four symbolized wholeness. So a new wholeness every four years that he would build onto the building. I don't know if the, the building department in Edmonton would approve of that, but at that point in time, obviously, there wasn't an issue. In the end, the tower became a sacred space, a place for his soul work where he could paint on the walls, write his dreams, think his thoughts, enjoy his memories, and record his visions. The title of his memoir, interestingly enough, is Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. See, dream, the dream world is so rich and powerful. It reveals this kind of work he accomplished in his tower retreat. He said this, I have done without electricity. And I tend the fireplace and stove myself. Evenings, I light the old lamps. There is no running water, and I pump the water from the well. I chop the wood, and I cook the food. These simple acts make man simple, and how difficult it is to be simple. Man, isn't that true? I get the God bumps just reading that one. The story of Young's Tower gives us several hints as how to care for the soul especially when it is threatened by modern life, where psychotherapy generally focuses on isolated personality problems and searches for specific solutions to them. Care of the soul concentrates on the everyday conditions of life. It's in all of it. It's in this moment. If an emotional problem presents itself, the real issue may not be some single trauma or troubled relationship. Maybe the issue is a life set up in such a way that soul is neglected habitually. Problems are part of every human life, and they do not necessarily wither the soul. The soul suffers more from the everyday conditions of life when they do not nourish it with the solid experiences it craves. Our soul craves it. Our soul craves the richness 
a connection. When we did a little exercise here at the opening prayer of opening our hearts, the soul is heart work. The soul is that, that depth of being. It is the mystery. It is the subconscious. It is that fertile soil. Dr. Holmes called it the soil where, where things can happen, where seeds can get planted because we think of a thing the way we teach the trinity of creativity is we think an idea which is our conscious mind which is plants that seed in the subconscious. That's the soul. And it always says yes, but it also needs attending and nurturing. So all great ideas. Young's Tower was a personal temple for his spiritual life. Any of us could follow his example and dedicate a room or even a corner of the house for soul work. Young's Tower helped him create a certain kind of space where he could correctly feel his personal life stretched at both ends, reflectively back into the past and prophetically into the future. His tower was a concrete work of imagination that gave him the, an exit from modern culture. It is one thing to wish for a way beyond the limits of modernism and another to find an effective means of establishing such an awareness. An effective technology of the soul can be crucial. Young remarked that in his tower he felt close to his ancestors, another traditional concern of spirituality. And in the winter of 1955 and 1956, he writes, I chiseled the names of my paternal ancestors on three stone tablets and placed them in the courtyard of the tower. I painted the ceilings with motifs from my own and my wife's arms. While I worked on the stone tablets, I became aware of the fateful links between me and my ancestors. I feel very strongly that I am under the influence of things or questions which were left incomplete and unanswered by my parents and grandparents and more distant ancestors. I think that's the, the depth of what's possible. I think that's what Dr. Holmes was inspired by as well. It is more than this. Did you know that we live in a world right now and, and how we got here, I won't go into today, but you know, when we've had people that we've put our trust and faith in, political figures that have lied, would we not naturally doubt people's promises? You know, how do we end up with someone in such a powerful position if not the fact that people have become so disillusioned and frustrated they'll take any change? That one-third of millennials have no formal religious affiliation and the millennials are the group that's coming behind us. And Thomas More says, he said, and there's an interview, a wonderful interview on, on Oprah with him, where he says, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. Because those structures have broken down and they've failed us. And they have. And so what's happening, he says, is this is, this is a good sign. Because what's happening is these young people are finding their own religion and their own spirituality, which is exactly what we teach. We don't have dogma. We don't have creed. We look at you and say, you are the thing itself. You are the infinite divine presence. You are unique and powerful and wonderful. Find your way and mind the depths of your being, but don't throw your soul out. Don't get so obsessed with goals and, 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 and counting and measuring that you, you lose the richness of who you are because we need all of it. We need all of you to give birth to this, to move from resignation to possibility to give birth to the new divine human that Andrew Harvey talks about. Freud called this idea that we keep repeating things over and over again, the death principle, to always be doing what we've done before, even if it doesn't work. We are not losing God. These millennials are not losing God. They're finding God. And I think we can be part of that conversation for them and the encouragement and to look at them and say, you go. Because those structures need to, need to dissolve. And they were precious at one time. They were precious to my parents. And I honor that. And I observe that and I respect that. But perhaps not anymore. Perhaps your one group is not the only group. 
Perhaps your one way is not the only way. And how do we give birth to that? Because we are in the Stone Age. To have that as our, that, that grounding of our being, to know that, that I do not drop into um, resignation, but I stand in possibility. In The Ordinary Sacred by Linda Sexton, she, she gives an insight to this. It's very short, but I want to share it with you. Also from uh, Care of the Soul. She talks about a, a man who came to her, an old man who sh- showed her a china cabinet filled with items related to his deceased wife. This was a sacred box, she said, in the tradition of the Ark of the Covenant and the Christian tabernacle. In this sense, a box of special letters or objects kept in the attic is a tabernacle, a container of holy things. Emily Dickinson's 49 ribbon packets of poems carefully written and stored are true holy writings preserved appropriately with ritual bindings. We have a, we have a ritual right here. Those are our prayers. Those are our prayer ribbons that were woven into a tapestry with our teaching symbol that we did last year. Maureen Crone Finley did that with a group of women. That's a sacred symbol. That's soul work right there. It's art. It's tapestry. We had it up here for a while, and some people said it's a distraction. What, what does that mean? So I got to teach about that. But that's part of soul work. Back over there, we've got our tiles from last year. They were woven in once again with our, our weaving group. That's soul work. There's a richness here. There's an aliveness to that. That's living art is what she's talking about. So to have a drawer in your home, to have something where you, that just doesn't have to be a room, but a drawer or a, a, a shoebox of things that are precious to you. I just watched an interview of a Vietnam vet that is still suffering from post-traumatic stress this day for what he saw and what he experienced in Vietnam. And he had with him, he brought his Buddha. He said, I found this in a village that we went through and we killed and murdered. And He said, and there were these, these icons that were there in this, this home before we destroyed it. It was a Buddha, a symbol of what he represented the devil to him. And he said, I needed these things to give me something to hang on to. Marcello Ficino was a Renaissance Italian, amazing thinker. He recommended that we should all have images in our home that remind us of the cosmos. He suggested we place either a model of the universe or an astrological painting on the ceiling of our bedroom. This was in the 15th century. I don't know about that, but I did have a neighbor that had an outhouse, and we carved a symbol of the moon in the front of it. And it was a... I used to love to go over there, too. And my mom said, what is wrong with you? Said, so much fun over there, Mom. Soul is an infinite depth of a person and a society, compromising all the many mysterious aspects that go together to make up our identity. David Baum, and David Baum was a remarkable man, remarkable, remarkable thinker, contemporary of uh, Einstein. He said, you've got to give a lot of attention to consciousness. You've got to give a lot of attention to consciousness. This is one of the things to which our society is ignorant, and it is. We're the ones pushing that envelope. It assumes consciousness, consciousness requires no attention. And it could not be further from the truth. But consciousness is what gives attention. Consciousness itself requires very alert attention or else it will simply destroy itself. It is a very delicate mechanism. We have to think with everything we have, is what Einstein said. We have to think with our muscles, that our prayers and our desires and our intentions and also involving that soul work, that it, it permeates our being. That's, you know, that, you know when, when Jesus was in the garden, they said he was, he was sweating blood. Einstein said, with feeling in our muscle, think with everything. And so it is a flowing process which almost goes outward and inward and makes communication possible. You have capacities within you that are phenomenal. 
That's what Bohm says. Phenomenal. And if you only knew how to release them, that is the gift that you are and I am. We all are. It's not, we're not exceptional in this. So why let that lie dormant? Why not bring that into play? To the soul, the memory is more important than planning. So that's why um, Jung called it memories and dreams. Art is more compelling than reason. Love more fulfilling than understanding. We know we are well on the way towards soul when we feel attachment to the world and the people around us and when we live as much from the heart as the head. We know our soul is being cared for when our pleasures feel deeper than usual. When we can let go of the need for complexity and confusion. When compassion takes place of distrust and fear. Care of the soul begins with observance of how the soul manifests itself and how it operates. Soul is not a thing, but a quality or a dimension of experiencing life in ourselves. It has to do with depth, value, relatedness, heart, and personal substance. An attempt to bring love and compassion is a soul activity. So we did our heart thing here today. When you go into an environment, do you go in there and say, I'm, sh I'm shifting the environment. I'm going into Safeway right now. And by the time I get done, everybody's going to be different. And how do we do that? I always make a point. I'm telling you, I've been doing this for years. I always go in and say, thank somebody. Thanks for being here. And they look at you like, it's my job. No, no, thank you for being here. Because you know what? You're here, and then I don't have to go out with a gun and try and shoot some game so I can survive another day. I know that's an extreme, but, but there's so many people in service in so many ways. And so when you go into an environment and you smile at somebody, guess what? Probably a good chance they're going to go in the back room and smile at somebody else. Some crazy man out there just thanked me for being here. And they can laugh at that, but it shifts them. You know, we don't have, you know, we're not going to solve all the world's problems this afternoon, but when you go, did you greet anybody today? Let me ask you. Anybody, did you greet anybody today? And how did you greet them? Hi. That's why we get up and say, look at you. Look at you, you just did it. What if you did that everywhere you went? Come here, I want to hold your hands for a second because my minister said I need to do this with you. You are a miracle. You are amazing. <laughs> you know, but I mean, if you, if you, if you embody that, that, you know, that beautiful thing that uh, Francisco Valera talked about, when you step up in that environment with that open heart, you've got to be careful where you do it because people will be following you home. <laughs> See, the beautiful thing about this thing is that all possibilities are available. But not even creator knows what's coming. And our tendency when we're always in our minds is we want to put a label on everything. There's a story in the book about a 50-year-old man that comes to um, Thomas More and he says, I'm really, really upset. He said, what's the matter? He said, I'm 50 years old and I fell in love. And he said, what's wrong with me? And he said, what's wrong with falling in love? He said, that's not for me, that's for children. That's for adolescence. I'm a grown man. He says, well, who in there is having a problem with you falling in love? Sounds to me like there's a grumpy old man in there that thinks it's not acceptable to be an adolescent and to love. But these ideas that our minds come up with, why can't we nurture the adolescent within all of us? Let that kid come out and play once in a while. The access to soul is quiet. We do a New Year's Eve service here. And the... the the core of it, we do a lot of wonderful music and Mitch and wonderful people are going to be here. For, we're doing two this year. The final song is Silent Night. Silent Night. There's no 
mistake in that. It's not loud and crazy night. It's silent night. It's the language of the soul. We have a culture, we live in a culture that no longer knows how to be quiet. That no longer knows how to listen. And you don't have to listen all day long, but if you get up and sit on your couch and give your soul five minutes to inform you, write down your dreams. And that is a welcome, that's an invitation. What's a lie for me? I have the same dream. Every Saturday night I have the same dream. I'm always, I'm always behind the eight ball with, a, a, with a, something I gotta get done. And I, I built cabinets for years, so usually I'm doing somebody's kitchen and I gotta get it done so I can get paid. I wish my dream were different. But what it is is about I have something that, I have a deadline to, to offer something on Sunday morning. And so it always shows up for me as this task that I've got to get done. And because I did it for so many years, that's how it comes through and I filter that. Now, a lot of times my dreams aren't so direct, but I have that dream every Saturday night. Get it done, on time, deliver it. But it's just informing me. and it's a, So I don't fight it. I realize, yeah, that's the dream. There it is. Thank you so much. I'm doing my best. Even when I go to sleep, you're reminding me. Thank you so much. But to honor it, otherwise it can become an obsession or try and push it away. So Valera said this, the way we stand and make a declaration. So soul practices. Can we pull that one up? We've got some slides here. The first one we looked at, welcome. There's the soul practices. A little puja, a little altar that's meaningful for you. Something. I got this, I'm building this in my own little space at home. It's, it's not big. It's meaningful. And it says, Here's, this is the space where my soul and I come out and play. You know what Carl Jung used to do when he got stuck on something? He would go play in the sand. He would go, just like a five-year-old kid, he'd go play in the sand. Because he said what it did is the, the pathway to imagination is through that letting the kid out. So he would go right back into it and he would play, find a way to play. So Valera said, we have, the way we stand and make a declaration to create a new reality is to not be controlled by things and instincts. We must move from resignation to possibility. We need to learn how to internalize that capacity. It's fundamental, he said. Yet we are still in the stone age when it comes to knowing how to be consistently in that state of being. What I want to describe to you next, because I think it's important I'm repeating this, is that the spiritual realm, it's a spiritual realm. Spiritual because it has to do with human hearts. When we are in touch with our open nature, our emptiness, we exert an enormous attraction to other human beings. There is a great magnetism in that state of being, which has been called by Trungpa, authentic presence. It's that beautiful. And if others are in the same place or entering it, they resonate with us and doors are open to us. It is not strange or mystical. It is part of the natural order. And we need to learn how to internalize this. Those that are in touch with that capacity are seen as great warriors in the American Indian tradition or as a samurai in the Eastern tradition. There is great danger if we consider these people to be exceptional because they are not. This capacity is part of the natural order. And it's the manifestation of something we haven't seen previously. Not something we do. It's not something we do not have. This state is available to all of us, and yet it is the greatest of all human treasures. So when we can give birth to that and live more from that and move from that sense of connection, the quantum field that your life and my life are one life, and feel that, we, then we become the gift. We become the gift. That's what we stand for. 
That's why a third of the millennials are no longer going into faith traditions that are, that are dead. Because it isn't about following the rules. It's about revealing and unleashing the truth of our being, the gift that we are. Dr. Holmes said over and over again, there's nothing to heal but something to reveal. So this holiday season, the greatest gift I think can be given to one another is that presence, presencing that and honoring it. And when, we're, and when we're there in that presencing, we open a door for others to be with us. And then the gift becomes rich and the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And then we become alchemists of spirit in a beautiful way. Blessings, thank you so much. See you next week.